Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar. I'm Deputy Editor Sherlyn Lowe. Hello, Sherlyn. I feel like this is going to be a big episode for you because it's all about yeah. Samsung's new phones, the Galaxy S22 and S22 Ultra. And uh, we, we've got a special guest on from Engadget to talk about that. Uh, but before we get there, as always, you can find us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Please subscribe. Please leave us a review on iTunes. That's always super helpful. We also broadcast live Thursday mornings around 10 a.m. Eastern. If you want to see how we produce the show, if you want to chat with us along the way, we'll usually do some Q&A. We're also trying out a new thing where we'll uh, we'll kick off a Twitter space around 9.30 a.m. Uh, via the Engadget uh, Twitter account. So that's a new thing, uh, but I had a lot of fun doing it this morning. So it's a great way to hear us banter, and uh, we'll try to bring on people to ask questions live, too. That is a pre-show to the live stream. Uh, but it's also a nice way for us to like get our uh, vocal muscles exercise and our brains uh, tuned up. So it's real fun. Join us for that. And if you want to drop us a line, you can always email us at podcast at Engadget.com. So Samsung has some new phones, and I feel like Samsung always has some new phones. Uh, Sherlyn, you'll be diving into that, along with Sam Rutherford, uh, Senior Editor in Gadget. Hey, Sam, how's it going? Hey, good to be here. Thanks for joining. Uh, I, I'll let you kick it off, Sherlyn, because yeah. I was off last week. And uh, yes. I, you know what? I need to time all my vacations to uh, Samsung. <laughs> Samsung. That's <laughs> a wise move on your part. Yes. Yeah. Um, here. Sam and I have been testing the S22 Ultra and the S22 Plus uh, for the last week or so. We recently received the S22, um, and it's been an experience. And this is what the podcast really for me is about, is to kind of go into the background of like what I couldn't cover in our official review. Um, the the review video, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the B-side. The review video is already up on our YouTube channel, and I, I already saw some questions from some of our viewers, so I'm going to get into that in a little bit. But um, for me, it was it was very strange to review a phone that at once feels new and old in the sense that it's familiar. This is like the return of the Note. Um, I had the Ultra. Uh, and then so there, there was figuring that out. And then there was trying to understand the new features that Samsung brought to the series this year, which I see Sam nodding. He, they're, they're mostly around the Vision Booster display technology. Uh, which I'll explain a little bit more in detail in a bit. And then the cameras on the S22 Ultra, the hardware itself isn't different from the S21 Ultra. Uh, when I compared the specs, I didn't see any actual difference. Um, but they're supposed to have this new adaptive pixel technology. Sam and I will get into that later because we, we, it took us a while to figure this out. But <laughs> Sam, 
Is there anything that you want to shout out from your review uh, of the S22 Plus and, and I guess later on the S22 uh, so far off the bat? Just broadly, guys, uh, let, do you like these phones? Like, Sam, is this a phone you like? Would you recommend it? And then I would love to hear your details. Yeah. So I, I definitely like the phone. I mean, there, there's Samsung makes a good product. Uh, you know, the S22 is a, is a solid device. But, you know, kind of like what Sherilyn was saying, there's there's some new features that Samsung was really pushing this year that are kind of hard to figure out. And it's like, you know, you, you spend so much time talking about, oh, adaptive pixel is going to be, you know, change the way you take change, uh, you take photos. But it's like, make, make it easier to use, make it easier to understand. And I think that's <laughs> one thing that Samsung may have missed this cycle. Yeah, I agree with Sam. What um, do you mean by adaptive pixel, by the way? Like, let's define this. What is that? I mean, Sam, do you want to get into it? Yeah, sure. Okay, uh, so we're going to jump jump right in. So yeah, let's do uh, it. adaptive pixel is uh, one of uh, Samsung's new uh, photography feature. And the whole idea is that it leverages the new 50 megapixel um, sensor on the S22 or 100 uh, megapixel sensor on the Ultra. And so when, uh, you know, in low light shots, uh, it will take a regular shot at, um, you know, the full full resolution, 50 megapixels or 100 megapixels, and then it'll do pixel binning, um, 4 to 1 pixel binning on the S22 and S22+, Plus, or 9 to 1 pixel binning on the Ultra, and then it will merge both of those shots into a composite that theoretically should have, you know, better detail, uh, definitely better, you know, low light sensitivity, which is what you really want. Um, but the By thing pixel is, binning, you also mean it's taking the best pixels from each shot, which is... It's combining uh, adjacent pixels on the sensor into okay. one larger kind of pseudo pixel, and therefore, okay. you know, by combining those pixels, you're you know you're able to pull in more light and get more light sensitivity, which is you know what you really want in low light shots. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like uh, around this, like for years, uh, Apple never really told us like how the camera stuff worked on iPhones, and people had a lot of theories that. They, it was always like your iPhone was always taking a bunch of shots and like always just picking the best one. And eventually that turned into live photos. Uh, but this sounds like That's something else. That's a little bit right? different, right? That's mm-hmm. more like it's taking multiple frames at different exposures and then stitching them together. Different exposure stitching is different from binning. Binning is just where like your sensor has a several, a lot of pixels. In the case of the S22 Ultra, 108 Too many pixels. megapixels. You, you don't yeah. need 100 megapixels in the phone, but okay. Right, but sure. because, so on the 108 megapixel uh, sensor, you can use binning to group these in, in in groups of nine to make like 12 big pixels and the okay. bigger the pixels are the more light they can let in and therefore brighter pictures and 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 just with brighter pictures comes greater quality in general as well um so that's what samsung is doing i'm i'm, I'm not going to tell you exactly what apple is doing apple doesn't seem to be binning anything so far but binning has been around in android phones for a while i'm i'm just talking about like it's like background stuff where they would combine different things what so the result you see is better so okay samsung's doing this with high pixel counts okay gotcha mm-hmm. and, and plus, plus for, stitching saying, with the yeah yeah if any if any old school smartphone smart, uh, smartphone heads remember this is what htc did way back in the day on yes. the htc one yes. with yes. their ultra yes. pixel technology exactly um and then it's you know the the language and the terminology has evolved throughout the years every they had a, was it was it was a different name for that was it ultra pixels yeah it was ultra, um, ultra pixels but yeah every time we say htc one we all just need to do like a you know bless like a a pour one out for the htc one because that phone redefined everything and now everything looks like the HTC i still have one. one i still have one it's yeah. yeah i used that phone for years do i have i don't i don't have one i remember how that looked it was a beautiful phone it was one of the first like really beautiful phones but anyway so adaptive pixel sam just explained how it works but in reality knowing if it was working was very tricky Mm-hmm. Sam, 
right? Yeah, and and so here here's kind of like the issue that I have is that they talk about adaptive pixel, but number one, it's not on by default. And then to turn it on, you have to go into the camera app and select the special full resolution 50 or 100 megapixel mode to make sure that it even has a chance of turning on. And then you have to have the scene optimizer on and it'll automatically turn on in low light conditions. And it'll use, you know, you'll get the scene optimizer little icon that says, hey, it's a low light mode. We're activating our low light processing. And then only then will you get adaptive pixel. And it's just like, to me, that's just super frustrating because the the whole thing is that like, you know, if you go look at Google, um, you know, I had the chance to talk to some of the Google Pixel camera team uh, a while back and they were just like, you know, it, it's easy to make new features, but it's hard to make new features that are easy to use. And so Google's whole philosophy is they want new features to be a one touch operation. And you can kind of see that with like, you know, their um, long exposure mode that they release on the Pixel 6 Pro and six. And so, you know, they make it really easy to use. And then Samsung is doing the opposite. It's like, I don't even know when the feature is on. <laughs> and unless you, know, you have the opportunity like us, where we can like ask Samsung directly for help on how to use these features. It's like, it's just hard to figure out. Let me tell you, I was like days into my review process into testing and I've already taken all of these pictures to like compare and I'm like, I'm not seeing a difference. Am I doing something wrong? And that's kind of what you don't want to happen is at the end of your review process, you realize you've been, ha- you've been at the wrong setting the entire time. And, and because Adaptive Pixel is one of these highlights, like one of the big new features this year, it's like all the more incumbent that I made the effort to test it out. And so we were in our little reviewer circles asking people from publications like uh, Wired, for example, going like, so what, what, how, how is adaptive pixel supposed to work? And we were getting different answers from everyone. So we finally were able to like track down Samsung and be like, get them to say, you know, this is how it works. But, but they didn't even put up front that little nugget of info that you have to first switch over to the full res sensor mode, which is insane because the whole thing is they tout this as, oh, it's, it's like a behind the scenes process. Yeah, it is behind the scenes if you first switch over to the full res mode because it comes by default at 12 megapixels binned, which is not a step that I think everyone will take when they're using their phone for the first time. Absolutely. I think only, right? Only people who know that they want to deal with very large file sizes, which by the way, each photo I then shot at 108 megapixels jumped up to about 18 megabytes at night and I'm like sure. nine megabytes That's, in the day. This reminds me Crazy. of the uh, the Nokia Peer View, like before uh, Nokia went Android. And mm-hmm. I was at that Mobile World Congress in 2012 where they announced that thing. And that was what, like a 48 megapixel sensor mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, beautiful camera. Like that thing took beautiful photos. But uh, at, even at that point, uh, phone storage was not very large. So what do you do with these things? You know, like it, it, what's the point of taking a full resolution picture like this? So uh, does the camera work better? Like, aside from these things that are confusing, you guys, do you like the cameras or do you just think the software is kind of wonky and confusing? Yeah, so uh, I like the cameras. I think, and, and I think that's like the kind of issue is that, you know, they spent so much time talking about these new features is that you get hung up on these and then it's like, oh, you know, the new cameras. And I think, you know, especially coming off of last year where, you know, Apple and Google definitely pushed the camera image quality bar a lot higher than, you know, especially Samsung for low light. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, low light processing and and low light photography in general is much better on the S22s. However, because, you know, we spend so much time talking about like, oh, is adaptive pixel working? You kind of forget that and you like you lose sight of like, you know, what is really important. And so 
in general, I, I found that low-light photography is much better, but the adaptive pixel stuff, pixel stuff is, is kind <laughs> this, of... I'm sorry. Yeah, adaptive pixel. show name. Yeah, yeah. No, so in the, the adaptive pixel stuff is like, sometimes it looks better, but not in every situation. And it's like, you know, you spend so much time talking about it, you just wish it would be like, oh, clearly a better solution all around. And so the way I kind of think about it is that, and, and to Samsung's credit, like they do kind of intended like adaptive pixel to be used more for more like prosumer or like, you know, more than just your beginner, you know, camera shooter. Um, and so basically it's, it gives you that ability where like you have that high resolution image and it doesn't, it steps back on a lot of the like super vivid, uh, color saturation that Samsung likes to do in their normal shots. So you have more freedom to edit after the fact and, you know, really play around the image. And that kind of combines into the Samsung's new expert raw, uh, app. And so it's like, it's more features for advanced photographers, but on the whole, I would say that if you get a new S22, uh, just S22, just leave it in the regular default camera mode and you right. don't really have to think about Adaptive Pixel too much, which is well, kind I, of a shame. It's a shame. Yeah. I know. But here's the thing, too, is that like I um, agree with Sam that on the basic level, all of these, all of, so the, the S22 Ultra has one additional telephoto lens, but otherwise the, the camera series, same across the board. Um, at their their basic performance level, they're all great. The pictures came out colorful, crisp, very comparable to the the shots I took against uh, with the Pixel Six Pro and the iPhone Thirteen Pro. Um, even in low light, they were very close. the The only issue was that like adaptive pixel for all it was supposed to do. If you were able to like set it up the right way and everything too, what photos I got from the two, like from from having it at high res at night and and regular res at night, I didn't see that much of a huge like a difference. I think I sent Sam some like of the photos I took to to have both of us just kind of like look at it. And Sam's a little more eagle eyed than I am, so he couldn't spot other like exposure um, issues. And I think, Sam, your take was that, like, the high-res shot that I showed you was, like, slightly better exposed and, re like, retained some nicer detail. But, like, for me, I mean, I had some other samples to, to judge with. But, like, for me, it was, like, hit or miss. Sometimes it was better and sometimes adapt Adaptive Pixel was not even doing that much. Right. So you get that high resolution. So pictures in general just look a little bit sharper, which is always nice. Um but at the same time, you also get a grainier shot, which, you know, some photographers don't mind. You know, some like if you talk to old school film photographers, they love grain. Like people get so excited about new cam camera, like right. simulated uh, camera grains on like Fujifilm cameras, for example. But like and so it, it it's definitely that trade off. It's like, do you want like a picture that's going to be, you know, more appealing to just, you know, snap and share on social media and you'll have those bright, vivid uh, vivid colors and that's always you know very you know attractive to the eye or do you want something that's a little bit flatter um but you know easier to adjust in post um mm -hmm. uh and, so, and there's a, it also i noticed that adapt pixel does do a tiny bit better in terms of like high dynamic range there is a little bit more you know uh separation between you know the very brightest parts of a picture and the very darkest 
So is this like the killer feature for these phones? Because we're talking about it a lot. Um, or is it just the one that's like really frustrated you guys? Like what what else is there to look forward to in these? To me, it's the one new thing mm-hmm. in the camera side of things. I mean, there was like auto framing and the portraits are actually better. In fact, I ran a quick Instagram poll last night and like the, the early results are people are loving the S22 Ultra's portrait over the Pixel 6 Pro and the iPhone 13 Pro. Yeah, I think uh, both, both of those features are more interesting and kind of better executed than adaptive Pixel. Yes. Yeah. Um, but there there was another feature that Sam and I got a little tripped up over that is also new this year. It's in the display. Is this thing that Samsung's calling Vision Booster? I'm going to leave Sam to do the explainy part of it because it's, it's I, you explain it well. Yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is another confusing one because once again, yes. uh, <laughs> they, you don't really know when it's on. So the whole idea about yes. Vision Booster is that it's supposed to boost things like uh, contrast and color saturation in very bright, say like direct sunlight outdoors or very dim uh, environments like, you know, you're watching a movie in bed before you go to sleep. Um, and so... The idea in theory is great. However, in practice, I found that the difference, especially in very dim conditions, is pretty negligible. If you, you know, depending on, you know, the scene, if you're watching like a really dark scene in a movie, you will notice it's like, oh, hey, I can kind of see details a little bit better. Um, However, the real thing, uh, you know, the real benefit is kind of outdoors when like, you know, the direct sunlight and then kind of hits your phone and then because your phone notices oh hey it's really bright outside let's pump up the brightness to kind of match as much as possible and then a lot of times that ends up washing out the image everything looks kind of you know whitish and you know you lose a little detail and because the s22s especially the 22 plus and the ultra have significantly brighter screens uh peak brightness of about 1750 nits which is you know might be the highest uh, on that's any phone ridiculous right now. yes yeah yes. yeah it's, it's yeah. nuts and so outside you definitely do notice it's like oh hey i'm you know watching movies outside is a lot more enjoyable and so i definitely noticed a difference in direct sunlight not so much in dim environments but the other thing is like once again you don't really know when it's on and the only way you can know to turn it on is that you have adaptive brightness turned on on your phone. There's no like direct vision booster toggle in the phone. That's okay. A lot of these sound like very Samsung problems where their software very rarely like kept up with the quality of their hardware and their new features. Um, one other thing I want to ask you guys, uh, everybody's wondering like what happened to the Note. The S22 Ultra <laughs> has the S yep. Pen. It is it's yep. bigger. Why why is this not a note? Isn't this a note? That's a note. It's basically a note. It's basically yeah, a, note. It's a note. Think of it. Yeah, just think of it as a note. Don't don't think of it as anything else because it, it, it like I like I've said on this podcast before, Sam and I keep referring to this as a note. But even in my review, when I was recording our video, I did say the note a lot of times by accident because <laughs> it it is it is a note. Just basically, the note branding isn't there, but the ghost of it is. How about that? How about that? The, the, yeah. the spirit of the note is is very much alive <laughs> in the new S22 Ultra. Spirit is a better word than ghost. Yes, it's not being haunted. It is uh, <laughs> yeah. infused. The ghost of phones past. Yeah. I mean, do we know why Samsung moved away from the note branding at all? Because they kept it going even after no. the exploding notes, right? right. So right here, yeah. I, I think part of that might be part of it because I feel like if you Google Galaxy Note, maybe the stories of exploding notes to it's come out. It's been years. It's been years right. since then. They kept going. Yeah, but. I think it was, I, I like to think it was, they, they're trying to consolidate things, right? I think that they were selling a lot of no, like Note Ultras, like the big notes, but the smaller notes and the cheaper notes just weren't doing that well for them. And so it doesn't it didn't really make sense to have a whole entire line just called the note for the one note that sells well, sure. right? Or so then they may- were, mm-hmm. go ahead. Well, 
we also complain about Samsung having too many damn phones. Exactly. So does this does this replace the like they always had the plus, right? So this displace uh, re- replace the bigger phone that used to be there but didn't have a stylus. So basically, it is the Ultra. It is the S twenty two Ultra that is the Note. And and what I was going to say is that like now you're left with the Note series that's down to one phone that actually sells, right? And then it also shares a lot of features with the S twenty series ultras so why not just bring the two together into one phone because i I think that makes sense and consolidating the lines like we said they made too many damn phones um consolidating the lines is 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 a good thing and it Mm -hmm. saves saves them from having to do that release cycle later in the year um i mean sam you talked to them with me yeah agreed on this sentiment yeah definitely and and i think you know i think what samsung would like people to know is that they don't want to think they don't want people to think of the Galaxy Note as a single device anymore. They want to get the Galaxy Note to be an experience, which sounds really grand, <laughs> but you know, it, it does kind of make a little bit sense because, you know, you have S pens that work with the Tab series. You have S pens that work with the, you know, the Galaxy S22 Ultra series. And then you have S pens that also work with the Z Fold series. So it's like you do see that like, you know, because there's just so many S pens and stylus enabled devices from Samsung, you know, it's like, okay, it's like, you you want people to think of like, Oh, I I have that note taking experience on a range of devices instead of just, Oh, the note is the one thing that has the S pen, which you know, doesn't, it isn't true anymore. Kind of makes sense. Yeah. Uh, right. The, the other thing we've complained about with the uh, pro max iPhones is that they're they're too big. They're too heavy. So how, how big and how much of a big boy is the ultra? So I was comparing the actual weight numbers for my review, and the Pixel 6 Pro is the lightest. It was always lighter than the rest. The Note, uh, sorry, the CC, I did that again. As the S22 Ultra is heavier by a lot. It's also slightly heavier than the S21 Ultra, but the iPhone 13 Pro Max is still the beefiest, chunkiest Half a chunk. pound. Half a pound, man. Freaking well, oh it has, my lord! It has stainless steel chassis around it, so it's yeah. just like you know, yeah. everyone else is using aluminum more or less, and it's just like mm-hmm. steel's heavy. You just, there's nothing. Sometimes you, you want to knock out somebody with your phone, you know, like you want to have that ability. So sure, I totally yeah. get that. I want to, uh, Dev. I want to quickly shout out two uh, comments that came up when we were talking about the Galaxy Note. Mark Dell said uh, in our YouTube chat that when when he talks about Galaxy Note to people, often the first reaction is, "Don't they catch fire?" So I think there is some truth there sure. to that. But Benjamin Lockhart, also one of our YouTube uh, chat members, said the Note and the Ultra got married, and the Note took the Ultra name. I kind of how like that idea. how regressive, you know? <laughs> it's like very regressive. I believe in keeping Hyphenate. your own names. Hyphenate. No, don't tell Samsung. Or keep that. your own names. I don't know. No, yeah, you you really want the Galaxy S22 Ultra no. Note? No, 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 tell no, Samsung that. No, please, Samsung. Don't tell no. Samsung that. Anything else you guys want to mention about these phones? Because I know there were tablets as well, and I've always liked the the S tab, so I'm wondering like what's going on there. The short story is that we don't have the Tab S8 in yet, so we can't really tell you too much about that. But Sam, what you know, what else did you want to shout out about the phones? Um. You know, the, the design is pretty similar. It's, you know, the I think the colors are better. You know, the pink yes, and green one especially. Um, the displays are noticeably better. And, you know, that's kind of, you know, you do want to give Samsung a little credit. They have the best displays in the industry. Yes. Um, and, you know, there's a new uh, Snapdragon 8 Gen 1 processor inside. So, you know, there's a lot of, you know, iterative upgrades. Um, but, you know, the design is similar. And so... Especially for like the people who are still on like, oh, I get a new phone every year. You can feel okay about skipping this one. But for yeah, people yeah. who's like, you know, on the two-year upgrade cycle, especially if you're coming from like a S20, you will notice yeah. an upgrade. 
I agree with that uh, completely because the S22 Ultra is not that much of a jump from the S21 Ultra unless you think of it like as you get a stylus, you get a new shape, but that those are the changes. When it comes down to the specs, you're not getting a huge upgrade. Right, that's right. why it's also like a b- difficult proposition, right? Because the real the real changes are the, the Note-esque features for people jumping from S21s. Um, and then for the Note, people who are jumping from a Note 20 Ultra, yes, this is a new phone, great new specs and stuff like that. Uh, for me though, uh, I want to quickly shout out that the after being gaslit by the Pixel 6 Pro's <laughs> fingerprint sensor for uh-huh. so long, I found the S22 Ultra's in-display ultrasonic fingerprint sensor. Yes, it's, Such it's a welcome fast. relief. Yeah, Fast. I don't even have to like, I, I don't fast. even have to know where the thing is. I just put my thumb in the middle of the screen somewhere. I dream and it of just that. I dream up. of a good fingerprint sensor right it's now. Good. Like Apple added a mask face ID on the iPhone 13 uh, on the iPhones now. It's it's fine. There's like even a bit more of a delay as it like figures out your mask, but it doesn't work with sunglasses. And I always have to wear sunglasses outside. So, yeah, it, it's still not a full solution for me. Uh, man, we, we need like, some more of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like both of those. I think face ID is pretty good um, and that the... Uh, fingerprint sensor is convenient when I masked up. So I actually would just both on one phone. That's it. It'd be nice to have both. Um, Anything else? Like um, just trying to think here. Uh, Do both of these phones have high refresh rate displays? That's like the thing I look for now. 120 Hertz. Yeah. You, you, you're you getting all of the older features. So you've got all the 120 hertz goodness, the 240 hertz touch sampling rate. Um, dude, uh, one of the YouTube viewers, Dude Named Charlie, is also saying that the only real upgrade is that the S22 Ultra has an onboard slot for the S Pen, which is like, yeah, it's, again, like I said, a very note-like feature, but it is nice, right? Rather than carrying around a separate thing. But I, I do want to shout out the S Pen. I want to, like, it is actually good. This is the best phone stylus around i I love how little latency there is it's it's like oh my god it it, it really actually feels instant you just draw and it's like there's no delay or anything you just you know you can just do whatever you want and yeah it's it's super so good and samsung's handwriting recognition has gotten very good i mean it it thought my letter n was a letter h which i'm gonna blame on my own handwriting (laughs) i'm taking some lessons there uh Uh, when i wrote s pen it converted that to s pen I was like, all right, I'm <laughs> cool. But everything else, like I have what my chemistry teacher once called doctor's handwriting, which I don't know yeah. if it's a compliment from a That's not, no, it's not usually a compliment. It's not, no. I want it to yeah. be. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I have bad handwriting. And and no, it, it recognized pretty much everything. And Samsung's Notes app is still pretty powerful. It does really good background indexing, converting your handwriting to, to word to, in, to, to text to index. Um, there's just so many things you can do with the S Pen. I used it as a remote control for my camera. So for those of you who are like not sure if you want the S Pen, if you've always kind of like avoided the note and stuck to the mainstream S Pen. If you were more S Pen. Yeah. Yeah. If it, <laughs> ah, I love that. If you were more S Pen to the S Pen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I would say it, it also stays out of your way. Uh, and, and, you know, you don't have to use it if you buy it. But if you do, you'll find that it's actually pretty useful. Mm-hmm. Right, Sam? Is it's that like, your take too? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's to me like it's nice that there is a slot because it's like if you don't have that slot, you're just never going to carry the pen around. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. and, and so like it, it feels more like. You know, you still get that like incredible uh, 10x optical zoom, and then the S Pen is like, you know, if you are a longtime like Galaxy S phone person and you love like the premium features, the Ultra is still for you. And then hey, there's a bonus S Pen that is actually incredibly useful 
Um, it just, you know, depending on where you are and like how much you love styluses, like maybe something that you would like, use all the time or you just have to like grow to really take advantage of. Yeah, I, w- I do wonder, like, it seems like Samsung's focus on styluses, styli, uh, has, I think at first people weren't really sure of like what to make of it. But then uh, Microsoft started doing it with the surfaces too. And maybe by now we're all just kind of tired of tapping and scrolling and swiping and pecking on our keyboard. So maybe it's nice to have another input. I've looked at that, that uh, there is that like e-ink notepad where you could just like sketch stuff down and like maybe i should get that because i don't i don't write anymore and it is a different way to think and process things so hey good on samsung for keeping that going i'm glad the note idea the spirit of the note is not dead anything else you guys want to mention about these things sam i'll let you go first um i mean google duo live share uh, it's nice it's oh yes it's you <laughs> know it's an exclusive samsung feature on for Google Duo, which, you know, basically just lets you share your screen. So you can, you know, if you want to have like a watch party and, you know, everyone watches like the same Netflix show at the same time, or, you know, you just like, you know, you're playing a game and you want to share your screen, you can do it. It's super simple. It like, and it's also like, you know, when they first talked about it, it made it, Samsung made it seem like, oh, hey, this feature is for watching funny videos with your friends on a call. And it's like, yeah, you can do that, but it's just, it's basically a screen share. So you can show whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah, so so you can show what's on your screen and anything that doesn't get, you know, blocked by those screenshot preventing uh, uh, tips, uh, screenshot preventing software, I guess, um, will show up on your screen. So you can watch YouTube, you can watch um, TikTok together, but it is definitely less sophisticated than Apple's SharePlay, right? So if I'm sharing my screen with Sam um, on on one of our calls, he can see that like our executive editor, Aaron Sapores, was like messaging me the entire time and he saw like the (laughs) pop-ups. I was just like, see, this is how busy I am. But no, Um, he, you know what I mean? So whereas like Apple's SharePlay actually thought is thoughtful about how notifications appear while you're sharing your screen. It won't allow um, most pop-ups from messaging apps and that sort of stuff to show up uh, and you get more app integration. So like with SharePlay, you actually have, you know, syncing of your your uh, media playback to both viewers they're like the way it works is just very different this is like i described the s pen kind of a blunt instrument for but it gets the job done um more or less you you, you see what i'm saying dev and sam yeah, yeah, yeah I kind of get it. Uh, well, you know what? Thank you guys for diving into these phones. Good thing we don't have to think about Samsung devices for a long time, no, right? Not true. Right? <laughs> Good thing I can uh, just forget about Samsung for a couple weeks. Yesterday, Samsung announced no. MWC event coming right up. <laughs> Please. And that's next week. Next week is February 27th is the event. And yes, MWC does kick off right around Mm -hmm. next week. Um, So we will have more Samsung to look forward to. Plus, our Tab (laughs) S8 review uh, is coming. We are about to receive the device soon enough. Um, So so stay tuned for that. Basically, Sam and I will be stuck reviewing Samsung things for a while. Uh, (laughs) Enjoy that, Sam. Devendra, you were asking about the, the Tab series. Yes. Uh, in case you missed it, there is a Tab S8 Ultra now, which is oh a massive 14-inch tablet. So if you... No. I mean, like, I, I get it. Like, Samsung Stop. makes best screens. They want to show it <laughs> off. And, you, hey, here's the biggest, baddest, like, mm-hmm. tablet on I the market. I love it, though. It's like, okay. Yeah, it exists. I, I, I guess, love it, though. Except uh, Asus was like, uh, hey, guys, here's a 17-inch foldable <laughs> OLED tablet. What are you doing, Samsung? You're the foldable OLED well, company. Yeah. 
they're gonna what make it fold. Don't even get them started. Oh, I my know. Gosh. It's just uh, if you're gonna make a 14 inch tablet, like make it a foldable. Like I was surprised when I heard that news. So anyway, thank you guys. We'll stay tuned uh, for more Samsung news down the line. Let's move on to some other news. And uh, one thing I really wanted to talk about is the Alienware X14 that Sam just reviewed for us. Uh, Sam, like, what did you think of this thing? Because this is the smallest, lightest, most portable Alienware device ever. Uh, there was a 13-inch back in the day, but that thing weighed five and a half pounds. It, it was so, no, so thick, too. It was not portable. Yeah. Please. Yeah. So what did you think of this? Um, I, I really, you know, it's, it's weird because like you talk about it, like Samsung has kind of avoided the thin and light gaming notebook category for years. Yeah, Alienware, so, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. last year they introduced the X series and you had the X15, the X17, and now we have the X14 and it's a little bit thinner. It's a little bit lighter and it's not quite as configurable, but so I, I don't know like how, you know, everyone has different tastes when it comes to like, especially gaming notebooks. But for me, it's like, I, I do appreciate, you know, that thin and light gaming device because I want a laptop. I want to be able to take it places. Um, and so I, I really appreciate that. You know, Alienware did a pretty good job. You get up to uh, RTX 3060 GPU and Intel's new 12th gen chips. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you know, that's really a really good sweet spot for something that I can take on the go and also, you know, get pretty good frame rates in modern games. And, you know, that, that makes a big difference to me. I don't know. Like, what do you look for in like a, a gaming notebook? It's really so. Whenever I review these things, and thank th I thank you, Sam, for dealing with this review because I was out <laughs> no and like, there's always so much more stuff. So it's great to have more people who can review gaming laptops. For me, it's a function of uh, price and a function of weight. And other companies have produced things like a Razer has had the Blade Stealth 13 for a while, except that thing started at like 1,800 bucks, and you were paying so much money just to have an underpowered, slightly lighter razor blade and i i always felt like that was not worth it for most consumers is the price reasonable is the weight reasonable for this one yeah so um the price starts at around 1700 um but the, the one that you want to get is closer to about 1850 and that's the one with the core i7 12th gen and rtx 3060 and then it's important because the uh, models with the RTX 30 come with an extra vapor chamber and Alienware's proprietary Element 31 thermal compound. Um, and so I, th that's really the good sweet spot. And it's really good that you bring up price because last year, like the X15 started above $2,000. And it was just like, look, I, I like the idea, but like you got to make it approachable. And, you know, this X14 really feels like, oh, hey, it's actually, you know, decently priced. It's, you know, it's not super budget or... You know, it's not super affordable like some of Aces and Lenovo's options, but like, you know, the size is good and, you know, it's got it pretty decent beautiful. performance. Yeah. So I, I was going to ask you, like, the the looks, the, and this is like kind of an Alienware problem in general. It's like, I love the way it looks in a vacuum. It's like, you know, the, the, <laughs> the design is like very spacey, very sci-fi, which is like totally me. Like, you know, it's like kind of like Blade Runner-ish, but at the same time, it's like, when I put it next to anything or just like put it anywhere in my house, it's like we're, we're living in two different like dimensions. Two different right timelines here. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm living in the 21st yeah. century. Alienware thinks they're in outer space somewhere. And it's like it doesn't it doesn't you have to have like yeah. it, it's like you have to transform your entire like living room or like travel aesthetic to like match what they match looks like. I mean that that is uh certainly a first world problem to have with yeah. uh, with the computer like this but you know I 
I like quirky devices. I think like when they went down this design path, like the Alienware's before used to be really like uh, it was the broy, uh, you know, gaming laptops are for dudes and they have mm-hmm. LED lights and they're like masculine and they're like right, and the alien hair and the alien logo used to be huge, huge. Uh, and they used to have like big, big backs for like all the ports and everything too. Like they, the design of the older Alienware's was just like out there. I love this. Like it's a curvy aesthetic. It is. Uh, there are lighter colors or darker colors. It is so sleek and thin. Absolutely. Uh, for me, the problem with super thin gaming laptops is that you you also give up performance because they it can't be as uh, powerful. It can't draw as much heat as like a typical gaming laptop can be. Uh, I still feel like these things um, are maybe more suited to people who have a little more money and just want to be able to walk around with a gaming laptop, put in their backpack all the time. I'm also testing the Asus Zephyrus G14 right now, which is like the direct competitor, direct competitor with the, all the new AMD stuff. And I'm really loving this. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things. Like I, I think it started out as being a small market. Maybe, maybe now as the price comes down, it is more achievable for most people. Um, how is the keyboard, Sam? Because when I first put my fingers on this thing, the immediate response I had was like, "This keyboard is too small. I can't. I can't hold my fingers above uh, WSD. Uh, I can't play first-person shooters on this keyboard. What's the point of that in a gaming keyboard?" Yeah, uh, I mean, t- uh, in short, yeah, it, it's definitely cramped. You know, they, you know, they did a lot of space-saving stuff where it's like oh, hey, like, you know, the, the shift key is, like, half size, or, like, the delete key is, like, right next to the power button, and then the function row is just, like, tiny, absolutely minical. And it's like, you know, some people might not be bothered by that. I wouldn't quite call it a deal breaker, but I can, if you if you are really picky about keyboards, I can definitely see that that might be the case. And even yeah. the keycaps themselves, I you know, I have a pair of, like, you know, small calipers, and I checked it next to an XPS 15, and the, even the keycaps are slightly smaller. So They're so a, small. There's mm-hmm. a definite adjustment period to that, and that's something that you should definitely be, like, aware of if, you know, that is the kind of thing that's, like, oh, a deal breaker for you. And even, like, the touchpad is small. I know most people don't care as much about touchpads on gaming laptops because you're going to plug in an external mouse anyways. But, you know, it's, like, it definitely feels cramped, and you do notice that, you know, hey. That is just, yeah. We're, we're making a smaller laptop. We, we got we to gotta tighten down a little bit. I feel like uh, the XPS 13 has had an edge to edge keyboard for a couple of years. So like that keyboard is wider. It's spread out. There's room for your fingers to breathe. Uh, basically, that's how I think of it. Um, and when I don't have that, I just feel like it is like claustrophobia with a keyboard. It's just I can't type properly. I can't game properly. Um, but it it didn't bother you that much. Basically, you noticed it, but it didn't bother um, it, it bothered me at first. And then as I use the system more, I'm like, Oh, this isn't quite as bad, or it's like I wasn't like as like apprehensive about it, you know, after I got to use it. So it's like it's just you know there's a real breaking in adjustment period, um, but it's like like now that you mentioned, it, it's like it seems like Dell slash Alienware is getting a little bit more adventurous with their keyboards because there's also the XPS 13 Plus that's coming yes. out, and that is yes. a whole new keyboard thing, and it's beautiful. Like, you know, they they've made like. Dell talks about this all the time. You know, we don't want to scare away people. Like the XPS keyboard has been, you know, one of the best keyboards on laptops for a long time. And then this XPS 13 Plus is going to change things up. So that's one thing I'll be really mm-hmm. interested to look at later. I, this, yeah, later this we, uh, we we may, maybe we need to have like dueling reviews of that <laughs> one too, like just yeah. just to see how that goes. I am very excited for that computer. I am less excited about other changes they announced for that, such as no headphone jack. Like that. What what are you doing to me, Dell? Um, but yeah, their keyboard stuff, uh, this is getting a little into the weeds now, but several years ago when they did the XPS 13 uh, two-in-one, they went to like a magnetic um, a magnetic key thing. So there was like less physical travel, but 
it did like it clicked a little bit because it, of it like it felt weird, different too. It felt different. I actually kind of like that, but I hear like from Dell like nobody like very few customers like that. So they they try things. They I think they've learned not to try not to like push too differently in flagship products. So that's why right. there's XPS 13. And, and it's actually really not, smart yeah. because they're still making the regular XPS 13 for that exact reason. So it's like if people like the XPS 13 that they've been making for the last 5 10 years, that will still exist, but then this XPS 13 Plus is a whole different thing. Yeah, it's a way to like chart into the future, design for the future, while also satisfying all your current customers. So totally get that. Um, well, you know what, Sam? I'm glad you like this laptop. I'm looking forward to, I really want that XPS 13 Plus in my hand. So I'm looking forward to this like new wave of computers we're seeing. And uh, yeah, thank you so much, Sam. Where can people find you on the internet these days? Well, as always, you can find me on Engadget.com. But if you can also hit me up on social media, at Sam Rutherford on Twitter. So aside from it being review season, there was also a slew of news. I mean, early this week was just insane for me because Google, my my favorite company to cover, I guess. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't actually have a favorite, but they, they did drop a whole bunch of news. Uh, I will start with something that they unveiled last week, actually. Um, but just right after we recorded our podcast last week, uh, Google released the very first Android 13 developer preview. Um, this is our first look at the next generation of Android, what that will uh, bring. And it, from this Far early in the process, uh, it seems like more privacy controls and more finer privacy controls are coming. More finer is not really something I like to say, but anyway, <laughs> finer fine. privacy yeah. yeah, controls are coming. And then uh, more material you infusions throughout with app icons or themed app icons. So uh, the details are in our Engadget report. Uh, go check it out. But this week, big some some pretty big news in Google land. First of all, they're bringing the privacy sandbox to Android. And privacy sandbox is basically Google's way of figuring out how to serve relevant targeted ads without third-party cookies on the web. And now they want to do that for Android. Whereas uh, Apple's approach has been do, the do not track, right? The the one where you allow, uh, you ask apps not to track you um, is kind of a a more like general approach google still wants to give advertisers a way to serve you ads but they want to be able to not you know compromise your privacy at the same time is this Um, a cohort thing they were talking about years ago so so yeah so flock which is federated learning of cohorts that was privacy sandbox last year that was the main method they were putting forward last year but then they it came under so much regulatory scrutiny they were like people were so concerned about it that this year early this year in january i believe uh google was like no no no, we're replacing flock with topics api so it's very clear <laughs> okay. privacy sandbox is still in flux. It is uh-huh. still something that they're figuring out. But they did say that privacy sandbox for Android is going to be a multi-year initiative. They're fully aware that this is going to take some work. It needs a lot of collaboration with um, industry partners and regulators. So um, some of the things they're working on are being designed right now. If you're interested, you can go check them out. Again, we had the article on Engadget or you can go to a Google's developer's site, but they're in such early stages right now. There's, there's just proposals. They're kind of almost vapor, but they're slowly taking shape. So it's kind of like the Pokemon coughing yeah. as opposed to like <laughs> Pokemon coughing. Um, yeah. I mean, this show, this really shows the difference in like Apple and Google's approaches too, right? Because Apple could just be like, you know what? No more tracking. 
just no more. No, thank you. Uh, but Google's entire business is based on ad tracking and ads. So they they have to be like, well, we need a little bit of tracking, guys. We need something. We got to keep uh, got to keep uh, Google fed over here. Um, <laughs> well, and there's I mean, a lot look, of good. Mm-hmm. I will say there is an argument for some targeted advertising, right? Because then you're getting ads that actually matter to you as opposed to like me seeing an ad for a snowmobile. Sadly, I will I not be buying one. Maybe, maybe. Except every time I've seen an ad targeted to me, it's in the dumbest way possible. It's like after Sometimes, I bought, yeah. after I bought something, here are targeted True. ads for more of the thing I just bought. I'm like, I only need one dishwasher, guys. Like, I, I only need one of these things. Uh, a smarter way to do this stuff may be better. But I, Apple's thing is just like, nah, screw it, no more. You want out? Here's out. There, there are good arguments that Apple, Apple certainly does some ad tracking of its own too, because it it, it sends like ads, uh, its own app store ads and stuff. Like there is tracking around what Apple does, and that's a little more complicated. But it's just funny to see the the complete difference in approach here. And Microsoft kind of has that too. Like with Edge, they've been pushing like no tracking and stuff, and Firefox as well. Firefox um, as well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So so th- this is something just to watch. I thought it was just like interesting news that like Google brought out, but a little a little behind the scenes. Something that's more I think impactful on our daily lives is Google adding new productivity tools to its Smart Canvas collaboration platform. Uh, Smart Canvas is something they announced last Google I.O. It's basically taking the idea of Google Docs and saying that we're not no longer going to be you know, these are just like building blocks type things. You can pull in a sheet and you can pull in other things, right? So the smart canvas is very similar to Microsoft's Fluid Framework, which also does similar things for Office 365. Uh, and this time around or this week, Google announced that A, it's doing away uh, visually with any pagination. You're not going to see page boundaries. So, okay. so, you know, don't think you can always bring back a paginated view, but you know, for all intents and purposes, it doesn't want you to think of uh, working on a Google Doc as this traditional bound by page boundaries kind of idea anymore. You're just working on a canvas. There you go. Have fun. Whatever. Um, the cool thing is that this um, this new page list format works on uh, screens of different sizes very well with the contents kind of just jumping all over to rearrange themselves to fit the screen width that you're on. So for those of us that are frequently editing documents on their phones on the go, this should look better. I haven't seen it out in my like for myself, so I will need to see, but it seems like a better way to work. Then the more interesting thing is that like it's added um new building blocks. Building blocks are these little like things you can pull in into a, a, a document. And one of my favorites is the email draft building block they're adding. So basically <laughs> okay. Why, why is that funny? <laughs> I mean, we're, we're getting like deep into the weeds and you're like, email drafts, building Isn't blocks. Isn't email drafts cool? Canvas? Okay, let me tell Go you. Ahead. Sure. Let me tell you, if you're like someone who's just starting out at a new job and you're like mm-hmm. afraid of how to how your emails sound to people, I mean, you shouldn't be. <laughs> but if you are, you can like create an email draft in a doc or create several. If you're a person marketing to like different brands and different, and then you can have like one email draft for tech brands, one email draft for fashion brands, right? And then you can put them on a doc and you can have like your teammates come in and tweak the wording in the body of these emails and then send them from the same doc. So there's a lot more collaboration here because email used to be something that's so siloed, I think. Be, right, right. You kind of just fire it off and hope for the best. Um, but now there's there's a way to work with your team on on it without copy and pasting the that's body of cool. your message. And also, 
Gmail has some like built-in template and draft stuff, but it's not great. Like it's exactly. it's not a great way to like send out tons of letters to things. So exactly. I would love some more integration around that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my favorite. I will shout out the rest without getting too into the details. There are some new maps chips. <laughs> there's some new people chips. I really like the meeting notes one. Um, and and there's some more features as well. But yeah, again, like I said, there's a lot of uh, more info on the article on Engadget. And then one quick shout to the last thing that Google. Is it the last thing? One more thing anyway, not the last. Uh, one more thing that Google shouted out this week that I thought was interesting is this thing called Chrome OS Flex. It's basically, uh, there was a third-party software that was a, that was going to let you turn your old laptops, whether they're Microsoft, uh, Windows laptops or Macs, yeah. into Chromebooks. Never it was called Cloud yeah. Ready. Also yeah. never, was that Neverwhere? It was Neverwhere. They be. bought Neverwhere and then, yeah. yeah. Then Google yeah. bought it and now they're basically announcing that it's an official tool that can be deployed that you can just download and install cool. for yourself. If you have the savvy, if not, it's really targeted at IT admins uh, more mm -hmm. than anything. That's so, kind of cool. That's kind of yeah. cool. I, I love anything that gives us new ways to use old hardware. So everybody has old laptops around or old something, even like an old desktop. So if you could turn into like a little web kiosk for kids or grandparents or somebody who's not super, who doesn't need the latest chips and everything, like that's cool. That's super yeah, cool. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, no, plenty of news from Google this week in addition to everything. So so there you go. But um, <laughs> one more thing I covered this oh week. Oh my God. Oh, yeah, this one made everyone on the team laugh. Uh -huh. Okay. This was an exclusive that we got from Motorola and Verizon. And Verizon uh -huh. was a former parent company of Engadget, disclosure. Um, but I'm looking at this Motorola thing now for the first time. What the hell? <laughs> I love it. Ver Verizon and Moto teamed up and released uh -huh. this thing called a 5G neckband. Now, I, I, when I say release, I don't mean they actually are selling it yet. They showed a, a prototype. They're working on it. They're making a 5G <laughs> neckband. <laughs> I will uh -huh. tell you the purpose in a little bit, but this thing, it looks like a, a like a very chunky necklace. It's a cattle it's like, collar. It's a kettlebell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it's basically bell. like one of those cattle hook things. Yeah. But ar around your neck, and then there's like a little credit card sized and shaped module hanging on the front, kind of like a lanyard. Uh-huh. Um, but a, that's a the short cowbell lanyard. part. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the cowbell part of it. And like, that's a good description. I also, saw, like, one of Aaron's supporters also said, like, uh, the it's like rope around your neck, which I actually think the idea of a rope around your neck, kind of like a noose, is very interesting. It's a not, not great. Yeah, not, not great. great. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that's what it looks like. Again, you can uh, go to Engadget uh, for the article and the one picture that they were able to share with me. I did see other pictures, <laughs> but that, that was the one I could publish anyway it's it's also on a person that's wearing a, a pair of uh, think reality uh a3 headsets so this is lenovo's which is moto's parent company um their their ar headset and um and that looks idea. like a pair of glasses that has like blacked out lenses in the back so that's actually yeah i like that design i don't yeah. like this so the idea is this thing is a 5g receiver to be no, to do I the know. networking See? work what <sighs> This is what, why what it's is so it? confusing, right? What like, is it? okay, uh -huh. yes. So because Verizon is involved, right? Verizon has to be like, it's all about five G. But it's it's kind of about five G. The, the, the like the, one of the things they kept saying to me was, we're making five G wearable, which doesn't really get to the point. The point is, this thing is designed to make it easier for people to make headsets lighter, make VR and heads, AR headsets. Uh, lighter and more comfortable for to wear for longer periods of time. Why? Because they're moving the components for things like compute, connectivity like 5G, um, uh, battery, uh, Bluetooth receivers, and all of the other stuff, Wi-Fi, whatever, right? 
taking it out of the headset and putting it around your neck on this is there so i assume there is a cable between the headset so there will be in this picture that yeah in this picture there is none but there is a red barrel yeah i know (laughs) there is a red barrel on the collar area where you're allowed you can put plug in things like your coaxes or or whatever other cable there's a usb-c slot is compatible with uh, qualcomm's uh, vr platform as well as microsoft's rndis i think remote network driver interface system um so a few a few options here right their idea is to be as open as possible to work with as many headsets as possible there's a touchpad on the um credit card size module around your neck because i guess touching your chest is the way to interact with your thing i I Um, don't know sure but look the idea the idea is intriguing i think yes wanting to make lighter and more comfortable vr headsets by moving the components away is a, a sound idea in theory we've seen other people try to put these compute components around a belt that people then connect their headsets to or or tether mm-hmm. themselves to a I desktop, mean, that's what whatever. so magic leap has like a little belt pod right a little yeah. pod that you attach your belt or put in your pocket and like that there connected you go. to the glasses yeah Sure. Exactly. Exactly. The idea is there and it's not necessarily novel, but uh, putting it around your neck, I think is fr- pretty new. The The only issue pretty is fraught. that like, it just, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't look that great right now. And I, I'm, I get that it's an early iteration. I get that this is the first gen. I would love to ma- see it come down to like the size of a lanyard, really like sure. a, as, as lightweight and, and comfortable as that. But right now, it, I'm a little iffy. Like I, I don't know. Uh, it, yeah, it, it, I, it looks super re- iffy. If this was ever real, they should definitely get Christopher Walken to do his rendition of you know, no cowbell, oh, uh, or more, oh, more cowbell, more, more five G neckband, more five G neckband. Giving them please. ideas, but uh, I will say that Verizon and Motorola did say they are working with retail partners. They are working with a sports league. This thing isn't just a pie in the sky. This is this is something uh, that they might they might they they couldn't comment on availability. They didn't even want to say that, but they want to put the idea out there that they're making this. I think just to encourage more headset makers to team up with them. Sure, it's it's a cool idea. We're going to see a whole bunch of ideas. I mean, we've seen VR backpacks, like full on desktops that you wore yes. on your back, and I've tested oh some of God. those, and like those things are they work. They're clunky as hell. Uh, but honestly, uh, I, I don't know. Are they less clunky than this thing? I don't know. Uh, it is not, wild. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it is the year of the metaverse. Shall we just put it that I, way? And everyone sure. wants to make, yeah, everyone wants to make something for, for AR and VR. So there we go. All right. Well, last story for other news. And this is one I want to bring up, even though it's a little old. Uh, I was shocked to hear that Trillin heard nothing about I the know. Bitcoin money laundering scammers. The so-called crypto couple, Heather Morgan and uh, her husband, Ilya Lichtenstein. Um, you've heard nothing about these two, Trillin? I The names are, I thought I would like, I thought the second you get into details that it would ring a bell for me. But no, uh-huh. I've been just so heads down in Samsung work that like I have not paid I attention just- Give so I'm more. really go- I'm going over the story, maybe not even to inform our listeners, because maybe all of you have heard this, but to get yeah, Trillin's live reaction me. to the story. So you may remember back in 2016, the crypto exchange uh, Bitfinex was hacked, right? And that was 119,000 uh, Bitcoin, uh, 119,754 Bitcoin. And uh, yeah, that was uh, at the time of the theft, that cryptocurrency was worth uh, $63.7 million because that's what Bitcoin was worth back then. Now, because of the rising rates of Bitcoin and everything, that 
that cryptocurrency is worth over five billion dollars. Jesus Christ! Five billion dollars. Yes. Um. So, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Liechtenstein and Morgan were charged with laundering a big chunk of this. Um. Trying to see the actual amount. Three point six billion. Uh. Their their charge was conspiring to launder it, and uh, that's because they were trying to like take out little bits over time. Uh. I think authorities were able to track some of the money to their personal, uh, you know, cryptocurrency wallets. Um, so it's a, it's a whole wild thing. Um, this is now the largest uh, financial uh, theft ever. Um, yeah, ever ever charged by the Department of Justice. Just huge. And the last one was uh, Silk Road. And that was just $1 billion where they got back, you know, $1 billion worth of crypto. This is where we are now. Um, and also Heather Morgan. Is uh is an interesting person. She's also known as the quote unquote rapper Razzlecon. Razzlecon, the Versace better win. Come real far, but don't know where I'm heading. Mother crocodile of Wall Street. Silver on my fingers and boots on my feet. Always be a goat, not a goddamn sheep. Now don't rock out to the Shirley. Don't rock out to it. I, okay, I played the first like twenty seconds or so. Uh-huh. I uh, it's just like someone took all the like millennial slash Gen Z lingo and like mixed it up in a in a pot and and tried to like make some soup out of it, but it didn't work. I guess it's uh yeah, it's very it's very New York millennial um who is trying to trying to rap, just trying always, really hard. Can I just quote, always be a goat, but never be a sheep? I mean, you know, okay. Oh my God. You know what? Like, I think in another lifetime, Shulin could have been part of her, like, uh, band group or something. <laughs> like, her posse. No! no, thank you. Go on. Tell me more of the story. I mean, that that's the story. They, they've they been charged. I believe she is uh, now out of prison. Um, well, not prison, but, like, she is out. But they are waiting to be, you know, charged. And, and every, this is going to be a big deal. This is going to be an ongoing story. Uh, it's just a sheer amount of money. And the sheer ridiculousness of this person, um, you know, Heather Morgan also posted some just insane TikTok videos of like she thinks people are trying to bite her style or something like she sounds she sounds if you heard if you ran into one of her TikTok videos, it would seem like one of those crazy people like maybe you should call for help at some point about them. So I don't know. That That's fun. Uh, welcome to the world of the uh, crypto couple, Shirlin. Now you'll never yeah. escape it. I do not want to. Nope. This is all I need about this news. Thank you very much. Well, I am don't worry, Sherlyn. There's a Netflix show coming. There's a Forbes scripted series coming and a Forbes documentary coming. Uh, oh, also, by the way, Heather Morgan was a Forbes contributor because everybody was a Forbes contributor oh, at some point. Oh, so. wait. Now I remember someone talking about this in the Engadget Slack. Okay. I, I, okay. Barely paid attention. No, for, I'm sorry. Don't get me started on the Forbes contributor thing. We'll have more news on this couple at some point. Uh, maybe I think we all need to put Sherlyn on the crypto couple beat. I feel like no, 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 right up no, her no, no. Alley. I'm going to recommend this to our <laughs> editors. Thank you, folks. Let's move on to what we've been working on. Uh, I just want to quickly shout the HP Spectre X360 16 that I reviewed uh, this week. Uh, this is you know it's a 16 inch convertible. We've always liked the Spectre X360 line. Uh, the 13-inch I reviewed a couple of years ago, we gave that really high marks. And this one is bigger, you know, and it's great. It's a beautiful screen, really elegant hardware. You know, HP has just kind of perfected this sort of like premium laptop stuff. Um, as a convertible, 
it's a 16 inch screen. You know, like uh, I don't I don't want to flip that over into tablet mode. This thing weighs uh, 4.2 pounds, I believe, like around 4.2. So about as much as like a, a MacBook Pro. Um, it's what the 15s used to weigh. Uh, the 16 weighs more now, I believe. But like, you know, what the old 15 inch MacBook Pros used to weigh. And fine, perfectly fine as a computer, perfectly fine if you fold it into tent or whatever. But tablet no not so much um so yeah didn't dig that it has nvidia's rtx 3050 graphics too so you could do a bit of gaming and you know do do some productivity work with it i really like this thing and i also think hp uh, makes some of the best laptop keyboards around like just really nice wide keyboards wide keycaps lots of key depth like i just feel the feeling of pressing down on those keyboards is just really good so I'm digging that. I give that really, uh, really high marks in our review. So go check out that full thing. I'm also reviewing the Asus Zephyrus G14 I mentioned before. Um, this is one of the first new computers with AMD's new Ryzen 6000 processors, and also it has, um, you know, the the newer uh, Radeon uh, discrete graphics as well. So I really like the G14 when I reviewed it a couple of years ago. Uh, now it finally has a webcam. It is more powerful. It, it, like the the original one didn't have a webcam. Yeah, that I was remember a big that. problem for a lot of people. And now it has a webcam. It's also a really yeah. good webcam. So check out uh, that review. That's going to be coming up soon. And uh, yeah, I'll be checking out the Uncharted movie, which is not getting great reviews, but I, I need to see it because I'll also be reviewing it on my movie podcast and I'll also be writing up something for it in Gadget soon. So yeah, not really looking forward to that one, guys. And uh, it's a shame. Aww. Never Tom really expected much though. from it. I mean... <laughs> that's you say that like that is a draw i, I know, love tom holland I but also tom holland is baby nathan drake i don't i don't know anyway Sherlyn, oh. what are you up to yeah i've got i'm getting my s22 actually my s22 ultra review is up now so you guys can go read it on engadget but uh there's other samsung devices that i expect will be coming in shortly and mwc is around the corner we will be we are already in the midst of preparing and organizing and planning our coverage around that we're already taking the briefings and you know there will be content for you to read so we're in the thick of it for for mwc uh no one on engadget is actually going to be in barcelona physically attending though so we're, we're all we're doing all it remotely. sad about it like yeah 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 wish it was safer well, and wish we could make that trip because that is always a fun i know trip. Mm-hmm. i know but maybe next year if everyone can just just be patient and be safe um but yeah that's yes. that's about it for working on for me this week cool. we, we we did see other people around engadget uh you know i i like i think we had this um opportunity to to kind of just show off what other staff members on engadget have produced this week uh we might make this a recurring segment right davindra sure i mean i think we we used to do it as well like but let's call this around engadget around engadget things to look out for go Love check it. out our horizon forbidden west review from jess condit um i'm really looking forward to that game i know a lot of people are i never actually finished the first one so i'm gonna spend these next few weeks trying to like whittle that down uh billy Steele. Also reviewed Sony's new Link Buds, which have a like a cool open air design uh, where you're always hearing the outside world along with like the audio from your stuff. So I think some people yeah. like that. Some people don't want the sealed uh, approach you get with noise canceling headphones. So sure, I get it. Um, kind of interesting, unique design. And um, Andrew Tarantola also did a great feature about how NASA spots potentially catastrophic geomagnetic storms before they strike, because uh, that would be bad news for us and all of our gadgets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So check those out on uh, the Engadget website uh, whenever you get a chance. 
Absolutely. Let's move on to our pop culture picks. I'm really wondering uh, what you have yeah. <laughs> locked in for right. this week, Sherlyn. This is very thematic for me, I feel like. Last week, while you were out, Avenger, I recommended The Tinder Swindler, uh, a documentary on Netflix. This week, I I have been obsessed with Inventing Anna. <laughs> of Inventing course. Anna of course. on Netflix. Now, this is a, a uh, scripted, not docu-series, uh, based on the story of the Soho Grifter, which was an article published on New York Magazine some time ago, a few years ago, I forget exactly which year, um, by journalist Jessica Pressler. Um, and it's produced by Shonda, Shonda Rhimes, Shonda Land uh, Productions. And it's just this fascinating story of how a girl, a woman of unknown European origin, uh, came to New York and conned the entire New York so like party scene i guess into believing she was insanely wealthy and then giving her a lot of money along with it the original story alone was already just fascinating i remember reading it Yeah. yeah it was pretty crazy but then this this um series takes things to another level uh i think the dramatization is great i think the actress julia garner who plays uh anna delvey the the con woman in question um does a really fantastic job with it. I think at the start, I was very annoyed by the accent because the the, the character Anna Delvey in person also has like this off, odd, unplaceable accent, right? Um, <laughs> because uh, she's like born in Russia, but grew up in Germany. So I have a lot of German friends uh, who sp- like speak English and I hear bits of that in Julia Garner's accent. And then you hear some of the Russian like... Um, traits as well in the in the, the way she speaks so i grew to get like u- i grew used to it and actually it's i started to miss it somehow like i would be like hearing random julia this garner voice works. as anna delby i know scamming works yeah it's a weird earworm but here it is um and and this story i want to say the rotten tomatoes rating is mixed People yeah, on Reddit's reactions... I haven't found anybody who really liked the show. Yeah, so. no, but people's reactions on Reddit also mixed. The reviews for it, some really praise it, some are like not happy with it. And here is why I think it's great. It is because it is so mixed, right? All the characters in this in this show, the way Shonda Rhimes um, portrays it, they're both, they all have these wild mo- moments of wild self-confidence. They like really believe what they're doing. And then they're riddled with self-doubt. All of them have both of these moments. And it's like extremely human. You, all the characters you both love and hate. You're like, even the, the, like the, there's the reporter who wrote it. She's in the story. You hate her, but you also are like, God damn, she's determined. And then Anna Delvey herself, like she's such a con woman. People hate that, you know, this show is so-called glamorizing her, but you also see, and Julia Garner has a great way of portraying these little like stressful moments and these ticks on her face. She is a great actress. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You see how like this woman is actually believing that she has what it takes to make this business out of nothing, at least based on this portrayal again it's a fake you have until to you remember. make an approach it's like uh, yes. theranos you know so and yeah. and and i also want to say that there this is just one portrayal of the story it's not all fact it may be inspired by some facts but it's not all facts it seems real but don't believe all of it and then also hbo right has uh their own series uh based on this story in the works and it's based on one of the so-called friends of Anna Delvey came out and wrote a story for Vanity Fair. This, you know, HBO is basing theirs on that story. It will be from a different perspective. Um, and Lena Dunham, 
is involved. She's possibly writing that one. So there just it's just like such a fascinating way to see one story yeah. from so many different perspectives it's a basically. wild story honestly uh, i know a lot of people crap on lena dunham but i like uh, i think girls was one of the greatest like one of the greatest shows of the 2010 so that would be a really interesting perspective too because she is uh probably more aware of what that like culture could be like um yeah anything else you want to mention Sherilyn? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah yeah so i yeah I, I will i will watch that one just to see but um i i mean it, it's easy to like sh- sh- shit on i keep trying not to swear but i can't help it it's it's easy to it's shit okay. on this because like it's not necessarily the most accurate portrayal but you're not here mm-hmm. for a documentary you're here for a show and it's a show that's produced in a way that like me and again aaron support is our executive editor we're both like oh my god i can't stop watching aaron i will not <laughs> out him but he may or may not have been late you just, to a meeting. Uh, you just outing him yeah i am outing him he he, <laughs> he confessed this. to me he was late to possibly late to a meeting because maybe he was watching this um mm-hmm. i i definitely was like trying to okay. i had to be like you have to sleep go sleep stop watching it so that's where i was with this show very cool. I want to just quickly shout out a new podcast, the new podcast from the oh. Serial Crew, The Trojan Horse Affair. And I think this uh, is a really interesting show hosted by Brian Reed and Hamza Syed. Uh, Hamza Syed, he's, he's a guy, he was a doctor who turned into a reporter. And basically, during uh, his journalism school, he pitched this idea to, uh, to Brian. And the idea, mm-hmm. it, it's all about... A letter that appeared um, in, Birmingham, in Birmingham, England. A letter appeared on the city councilor's desk about uh, oh, there, there's this crazy plot happening among Muslim extremists in our public schools. And because of that letter, which was anonymous and nobody ever like determined who wrote it, because of that letter, there was like widespread um, changes and chaos uh, throughout you know uh, British schools. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of Islamophobia going on among public officials, and also people like who were named in the letter. Um, Muslim teachers and people involved in community schools, like their reputations were destroyed, basically. Um, this was a whole thing that happened. Nobody ever looked into who wrote this letter. So the podcast is about like digging that up, like figuring out what happened here. Um, was it real? Like, was it actually based on anything? Or did the city officials just like take this thing? It was like, hey, this is a fun, this is like an easy way to like really rein in, um, really rain down on the Islamic community. Um, I think it's really, really compelling. And I think it's a very, it is nice to have like a refreshing, uh, bingeable podcast. It's not like a freaking serial murder or something, or like a, <laughs> like a murder, a true, true crime murder or something like uh, this is just about an injustice that, ca- that happened in one city. It kind of, uh, reverberated throughout Ling- England and I think it's really well told and uh, just like it is one of those productions that at the end of every episode, there's a hook to keep you listening into the next one. So as mm-hmm. I've been I was off last week, I was uh, prepping like my basement and stuff for painting and eventually want to clean up my office. Uh, I was just like listening to shows as I was cleaning up this one. I just couldn't stop listening to. So I think it's really worth checking out. It's called The Trojan Horse Affair, wherever you can find podcasts. And uh, yeah, it's a New York Times. It's a good write up of it, too, because they own Serial now. So, yeah, check that out. Well, that's it for the episode, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Devendra online at... At Devendra on Twitter or at the Filmcast podcast at thefilmcast.com. 
If you want to tell me about the scam artists that fascinated you or any ideas for an adaptive pickle podcast, I'm on Twitter at Sherlyn Lowe. Email us your thoughts at podcastengadget.com, leave us a review on iTunes, and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts. But the adaptive pickle stuff, pickle stuff is, is kind <laughs> Vince, of. I'm sorry. Yeah, adaptive pickle. Show name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>